Hello, I'm Jim White. Welcome to It's Friday, shining a light on the best of arts, culture and entertainment in these dark lockdown days. You can find us on Spotify, Apple and Google and leave us a review. And don't forget to sign up for the daily Mail Plus briefing at mailplus.co.uk. This week, one of the most original serial killers swishes back across our screens in the latest series of Killing Eve. When I think about my ex today, I realize I am so much happier now she's dead. And another bunch of old favorites, The Strokes, are back with a new album. Plus, the trolls reappear at the movies, this time on a world tour. Only rock trolls are allowed back here. Well, it's funny you should mention that, because we are genuine hard rockers. First, though, thanks to modern technology, we have in our hands the perfect escape from the lockdown. If we can't head out into the world, well, the good news is the world can come to us. And as everyone discovers new ways of coping with isolation, so they're able to share it. Sing a song, dance a dance, paint a picture. Whatever you do, it seems the principal urge is to get it out there. So much so, over the past three weeks, social media has been staging one long audition for Britain's Got Talent. Joining me at an appropriate safe distance of several hundred miles to share the discoveries they've made of homemade entertainment online are the Daily Mail's television critic Claudia Connell and the Daily Mail's film critic Brian Viner. Um, Claudia, what have you found? Well, I've, I've been doing a, a virtual pub quiz because I actually am, oh, I am a member of a pub quiz team, which I've been missing. There's, um, there's a guy called Jay Flynn and he's based in Darwin in Lancashire and he usually hosts local quiz nights. So he thought he'd do one online and it just, it went crazy. About half a million people did it live all over the world, not just in the UK. You have people in India and New Zealand and the USA taking part. So it's, it's now become a regular thing on a Thursday night at 8.15 so it's after the NHS clap and if you go and you look at go look for the virtual pub quiz on YouTube if you want to join in live but you know you don't have to do it live because uh, yeah but Claudia one thing one thing about yeah. pub quizzes is everyone's always eagle-eyed to check that somebody's not using Google in the pub how on earth is he stopping people using well, Google well I mean that's what he says he says it's just you know you, you, it's just done on honesty you, know, a lot, you just have to trust that people are sort of you know do it in the, in the spirit of a, of a pub quiz and actually I, I did I normally ace pub quizzes and I did quite badly I got 50 oh, really? questions and I only got 25 yeah what are you good at Claudia what's your speciality subject well I, I'm normally as you'd hope I'm normally quite good at TV TV and, <laughs> and uh, entertainment I'm quite good I'm terrible at science and nature and my general knowledge is quite good but um, he's, yeah, yeah. He, had, he has a good a good broad spectrum of questions. We're going to get the quiz going. Um, so grab yourselves a drink, uh, get yourselves settled, get yourselves um, comfortable. I definitely want you on my team because whenever I've done a pub quiz, um, you kind of need PhD level knowledge of soap operas, and uh, you'd be oh, you'd be. I, I would I would be perfect. All right, all right. Let, I'll I'll give you one now. This is uh, this. Okay. I, I got this one wrong. What year was uh, Concord decommissioned? This is one of. of uh, Jay's questions. 2000? Uh, I would say, I bet it was before that. I bet it was oh, right. like, yeah, uh, 1997. No, 2003. 
Oh. oh. There you go. I got it wrong as well. Oh, 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 more than one year out. We won't be getting the T-shirt. Well, what have you found, Brian? Well, I have to say, Jim, I'm getting... I, I am suffering slightly from kind of comedy video fatigue. You know, I get, I've, got, I've got friends who send probably 10 or 12 a day. I don't know where they're getting them from. Um, and, you know, it gets to the point where you just think, oh, okay, I, I'm not going to... I'm not going to look at all of these, but, um, but, but I think what is interesting in all of this is that the, you know, you're getting big stars like, you know, um, big movie stars and footballers and what have you popping up on social media with their little, you know, there was one of Paul Scholes yesterday doing this toilet roll challenge. Uh, you know, trying to keep up, uh, you know, play keepy uppy with the toilet roll that everybody's doing. And there was another one with Paul Rudd, the actor, doing a Freddie Mercury uh, impression or a sort of mime um, from a few years ago. And that and, and fine, but actually the ones, as you were saying, that, that are really kind of striking a chord with people are from, from total unknowns, ordinary folk next door, who are doing some incredibly inventive things. And they're the ones, um, for instance, the, this one from the Marsh family, in Kent, you know, who who did um, a sort of spoof version of One Day More, the Les Miserables song. something like eight million views i think on whoa uh, did it uh, yeah and 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 actually ironically anne hathaway who was in the movie has also popped up to say how much she loved it <laughs> so they're getting you know so it's, it's encouraged it's, them to go through the whole musical theater canon hasn't it i mean they've done more than one day more they've done another uh, song from les miserables i think i think they 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 may have won britain's got talent the marsh family well, it's kind of nice seeing Britain's Got Talent without Simon Cowell, don't you think? I mean, I'm quite enjoying that. But also, yeah, I saw somebody said that, you know, they give them their own show when all this is over and, and call, them the, call them the COVID Von Trapp family, you know, and uh, let, let, them, let them go. I'll tell you something I've come across, uh, Brian, and, and, and it's entirely thanks to you. You've been tweeting yeah. out some of your old answer phone messages. Now, that might sound very boring, except... You got celebrities to do it, and they're brilliant. So how did, how did that come about, Brian? And tell, tell me about it. Yes, I'm just saying I'm getting comedy video fatigue, and, and very hypocritically I'm popping them out myself as well. Yeah, you're right. Um, well, I have got a little collection, a small but precious collection of answer phone messages from, from famous people that I have interviewed over many years, going back more than 30 years. Mainly these ones are from commentators or famous broadcasters. And they are, and I, I wrote a little bit of script for them. And it usually ends by saying, by them saying, and Viner is out. And then, a, <laughs> and, then a, and then a nice kind of dramatic pause. And then, so at the tone, please leave a, uh, a name and number and he'll get back to you. I think we, you've got a clip, I think, Jim. It's nice to hear from you, to hear from you, nice. I'm afraid that Brian, Jane, Eleanor and Joseph are out at the moment. But if you play your cards right and leave a message after the tone, one of them will get back to you shortly. Oh, and don't forget, you don't get anything for a pair. Not in this game. 
Didn't he do well? Good game, good game. All right, my love. We've just heard from Bruce Forsyth, and I've got Magnus Magnuson. That's one I haven't put online yet, actually, or on Twitter, so uh, maybe I'll do that one. But, um, yeah, great fun, and they all played ball. Nobody... Nobody said no to me. They all read the script and did it perfectly. The first one was Brian Johnston, the late, great Johnners. Uh, and he he did a wonderful, sort of in his plummy tones, uh, a wonderful one, you know, ending up. And it's been an absolutely marvellous innings uh, from Brian Viner, but now he's out. And then, you know, so at the turn, <laughs> uh, there are a couple that I've lost over the years, rather sadly. Um, I had, I had uh, John Cleese did one in the voice of uh, Basil Fawlty for me. And the great Peter O'Sullivan, the voice of racing, did one where I was three furlongs from home. Uh, so, when he gets, <laughs> so when he gets home, he'll he'll call you back. So uh, yeah, they've been they've been great fun, and, and actually, I'm getting a lot of a lot of love and likes on Twitter, which is nice. They're very very well worth um, searching out. And you know what you've got to do next, Brian? You've got to get a answer phone message from the Marsh family. Hey, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, I wonder if they'll do that. Yeah, one day, <laughs> one day, one day more, and he'll be and he'll be back in. And he'll be back, yeah, so he'll He's already thinking of it, yeah. and, and also closer to home. Um, our own Jackie Stevens got a fantastic thing. I don't know if you've seen it. Uh, you can go on to uh, YouTube, and um, she's got her own um, TV station called Jackie's Box. Well, well worth seeking out. If you want some good news to cheer you through the lockdown, well, you don't have to wait long for David Baldacci's new book. Walk the Wire is published on April the 20th. The king of rollicking good reads, since his first book, Absolute Power, came out in 1996, Baldacci has been one of the most prolific writers around, delivering 40 novels plus seven books for young adults. The master of the hero with a flaw, Baldacci's stories never fail to be compelling page turners. And I'm delighted he's taken a moment from his keyboard to join us from lockdown in Florida. David, I, I suppose as a novelist, you're used to keeping your own company. I do like to get out and about, though. I mean, I like to tell people I get my ideas from waking up in the morning and walking outside and seeing what's going on. So I do feel a little constrained by that. But, you know, I, I take bike rides by myself down here. I take walks and, you know, you still can think a lot. And, I, you know, my ideas come from those places as well. Since your first uh, novel was published, you've written 40 best-selling novels for adults, seven for younger readers. You are incredibly prolific. Um, how do you do it? How, how, how many do you produce in a year? Well, for the last 10 or 11 years, I've done two books a year. Last year, I did three just because I had an idea for a, a book set in the late 40s that I thought was going to be a short story. I started writing it while I was book tour in Canada. It was snowing outside, and I thought, you know, let's explore 1949. <laughs> um, and that short story quickly turned into a novel, and it came out last year. But I think I'm so prolific just because I, I love the craft of writing. I love sitting down and just telling stories and I do it every day and it's not a job to me or even a hobby. And it's not, I don't count words or pages. I think that's kind of artificial. I just write every day until my tank is empty and, uh, you know, I produce a lot. Um, uh, this may be asking you to give away a trade secret here, but one of the things about reading one of your books is you can't put it down. You've got to keep turning the page. Well, how technically do you make sure that I do keep turning the page? I give a lot of thought to that, certainly. And I think I've gotten better over the years and writing more concisely, more dramatically, leaving more cliffhangers at the end of chapters, uh, really paring down. I think the, a fewer words are, can be far more powerful than a bunch of words. 
Uh, so I try very hard to make it very succinct so that you're sort of racing through it at the same time that I'm writing as I'm racing through the writing of it. Uh, so it is a conscious effort to try to make to keep people involved and to cut out the things that I don't, don't really need to have in there. You know, lean and mean is a good way to go. Yeah, that's that's a great that's a great phrase. You, you like John Grisham? Uh, you wrote your first novel when you were practicing as a lawyer. Did it in your spare time? Did, were you sort of getting up at five in the morning and putting words down? Yeah, I was a trial lawyer. So, you know, even the people who hate lawyers have to admit we work long hours because that's how we make a living, selling little pieces of our, of our time on earth. So I would usually get home, you know, around seven. I'd have dinner with the family. Everybody would go to bed. I'd go down to my little cubby at 10 o'clock and I'd write until two in the morning. And I did that for probably 10 years. Wow. Um, and it, but, you know, it sounds draconian, but it, 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 that was my time to write what I wanted to write. You know, as a lawyer, you're paid to write other people's problems and address that. And this is my time to really hit it and what I was interested in. So I really look forward to those times, you know, 10 to 2. You know, I ran down the steps of my little, you know, my little hobble uh, to start writing. I was very excited about it. I mean, you hit the ground running because Absolute Power, your your first novel was a, a bestseller. It was filmed, Clint uh, Eastwood and Gene Hackman in it. Couldn't have got a better cast than that. And what was it like sitting in the cinema and watching that? Did did they kind of adhere to your idea of who the characters should have been? Yeah, they, they did. I mean, what are you going to say? When I found out Clint Eastwood was going to be in the movie, I like called everybody I'd known in my whole life. You know, my first my first grade <laughs> school teacher, hello, Mrs. Dugan, remember me? Boy, I've got a lot to tell you. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> it was it was fun. It was surreal. I remember sitting in the, at the premiere, actually in London, sort of pinching my wife's arm because I just couldn't believe that you know characters I'd come up with on the page were now on the screen. So it was pretty cool. Pretty cool. When I read your uh, your books, and indeed when I read anyone else's books, I'm kind of casting in my mind. Uh, it's it's a, it's a, something that I'm sure most readers uh, do. Uh, are you casting when you write? No, because I, you know, I know what a long shot it is. I've, I've dealt with Hollywood for like 25 years now, and I had other movies made and then TV series made. But it's such a long shot that I know that the odds are very, uh, very high will not get made. So, and, and plus, I think if I start thinking about actors as, as characters in my book, I'm going to turn out writing a screenplay in disguise, which turn out to be a really bad novel. <laughs> One of the things that differentiates you from a, a, a lot of very um, successful novelists is that you've, you've You've had characters who have sustained through a variety of, of books, but you've had different characters doing that. So you've done six uh, Amos Decker novels, I think I'm right in saying, five Will Roby novels, four John Puller novels. Do you ever get them confused in your mind uh, when you're writing? <laughs> it would be like, you know, uh, confusing my kids because I created them. You know, I can tell you on any given day which one of my kids is, you know, my favorite, and that tends to change based on what they've done recently. Um, but <laughs> my characters are just they're so different I mean Roby is totally different from Puller who's totally different from Decker and they're both totally different from King and Maxwell so I never get them mixed up but I have to be careful about making their characters consistent throughout each book and not picking up you know new stuff along the way uh, Atlee Pine of course is different from them in that she's a woman um, right. is, is that a different process uh, getting inside the mind of a female character well you know I, I never I've never written about damsels in distress for one reason I never met one in my entire life <laughs> so all my, all my women are very strong and independent because I was raised by one my mother um, my, I'm married to a force of nature my wife we raised a very strong independent daughter so and I you know I come from a big Italian family so 
so I, I have like 30 different aunts who are all very, you know, eccentric and, and independent and very strong women. So I drew upon a lot of that in writing my female characters because that's really the only type of female model that I know. There's been a, there's been a sort of, I don't know, a kind of, I'm not sure if it's a, um, a useful critical move recently. I'm claiming that people are sort of uh, cultural appropriation and, and so on. Have you had anyone objecting to you writing as a woman? You know, I, I haven't. Um, I mean, they, there could be some people out there that just haven't told me face to face. And, and I and I you think about that from time to time. And when I write about characters who come from different backgrounds than I do or different races and ethnicities. But if I need to have those characters in books for compelling reasons, and I try to go out and research it as best as I can so I can make an accurate uh, sort of characterization of that person. I take that very seriously. Uh, I don't want to be, you know, go into something very half-heartedly and just create stereotypes because that wouldn't help anything. It wouldn't make a very good story either. So I am conscious of that. You, you've said that you love the process. You really thrill to the idea of creation and making this world up. Once you've done a book, do you sort of put it aside and think, now I'm moving on to the next one? Or does it always remain with you? Yeah, you know, I've, I've written so many books over the years now that I tend to look forward. So when I'm working on a new book, my concentration is totally there. It's not that I forget about what I've written before. I certainly have to remember that just for series, you know, to be consistent in the series. But I tend to be more forward looking. And so if I if the book is done and it's out and people are reading it, that I've moved on already and I'm working on something new. So uh, tell us, David, what are you working on at the moment? Uh, two books. I'm working on the new Atlee Pine that will also bring in another uh, series character from another book series and I'm working on the sequel to that 1949 book One Good Deed um, and so half, in one week I'm in 2020 and the other week I'm in 1949 you know I've got my own personal <laughs> time machine <laughs> <laughs> and, and how, what, how long does it take before we will get to read those books then? Well the, the, the Atlee Pine book will be out in November of this year uh, bearing down to the end on it and the uh, 1949 book will be out the summer of next year david it's been a pleasure speaking to you thanks so much for uh, joining us i can't wait for those uh, books to come out no thank you i enjoyed the conversation too now it's time for hits and misses where the daily mail's critics sift through the week's new cultural offerings carefully sorting the wheat from the chaff or is it the other way around? Anyway, uh, first up, the Daily Mail's film critic, Brian Viner. Uh, well, we've got wheat and chaff this week, Jim. Um, the Trolls World Tour, which is interesting uh, because it's the first f sort of major Hollywood movie to uh, be designed actually to bypass the cinemas and come straight into our living room. So it's, it's been, a, that's how they've packaged it. And it's the first, in a way, the first sort of coronavirus, post-coronavirus movie. This was a, a policy before the virus. It was, well, it was when they, they deliberately set out to be, we used to call it straight to video, didn't we? Yeah, well, yes, uh, straight to video has become a kind of a good thing now, hasn't it? It used to be a, you know, used to be a, a, a sort of signal that a film wasn't very good. Um, but no, this is right. I mean, I'm sure when they started to make it, that wasn't what they intended, I'm sure, because it certainly would look great on a big screen. But uh, in post-production, they, you know, this was all beginning to to kick off and they thought right well let's just um, we'll package it directly for home streaming and that's what they've done and it's very good it's it's fun um it's a sequel to the 2016 film 
trolls and it's got most of the same voice cast so it's animated so you've got anna kendrick and justin timberlake james corden if if listeners saw the saw the last film they'll remember that you know it's about this kind of happy bunch of trolls who were who had this kind of existential threat and they had to overcome it and make their world one happy place again and in a way this is this is the same sort of similar idea but this time it's all about music and so Poppy and Branch, Poppy voiced by Anna Kendrick, Branch by Justin Timberlake, they are members of the Pop Trolls, and they're one of six tribes, each of them, all trolls, but each of them devoted to a different kind of music. Let's first of all hear a clip. We are genuine hard rockers. One, two, three, four. Cool. Hurry up! The show's about to start, man. Queen Barb's about to go on stage. So, yes, what you've got there is um, they're, they're the hard run. Now they're the kind of the villains of the piece. The there are six troll tribes. Uh, there's the pop trolls. Then there are cl- classical techno. Uh, funk, country, and then lastly, the hard rock trolls. Um, and there's a Queen Barb, who's this kind of rather menacing figure uh, in, a, in a kind of, you know, kids' animation kind of way. Uh, and she is the daughter of King Thrash, voiced by Ozzy Osbourne, who we heard there. And um, they are trying to take over the world, basically. They're trying to take over the music world and make everybody literally dance to their tune, you see. But um, but the pop trolls, led by Poppy and Branch, Anna Kendrick and Justin Timberlake, are uh, trying to resist this. And uh, so it's, it's, it's just fun. I mean, it's, 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 um, I think a lot of it will fly over the, the heads of the children who are, who it's sort of notionally aimed at. But it, basically it's a, it's sort of about, um, you know, music snobbery, you know, the way that different, if you, if you love one kind of music, you're, you're very often, you know, you find people who are very kind of snobby about another. For instance, so you've got this, um, this Queen Barb, this villainess, and she's talking about the empty lyrics of the pop trolls, you know, these, these kind of, this earworm that gets into your head and won't leave, you know, and it's, so it's things like that that will bring a smile to your face, Jim, I'm sure of it, if you sit down and watch it with your <laughs> You're doing your best, you're doing your best yeah. to encourage me, Brian. Um, but, but it sounds as though you think, which way are you going to hit and miss? Oh, I think it's a hit. And uh, what else have you got? So what else have you found out there on the internet? Well, also now available for, for, uh, for uh, available on, on demand and uh, for streaming is a film called The Iron Mask, which stars Arnold Schwarzenegger and uh, Jackie Chan. Uh, and Charles Dance pops up in it. Rutger Hauer, in, in one of his last roles, pops in it. Uh, pops up in it, and uh, it may have—he uh, died last summer. This may have finished him off, to be honest, because it's a terrible <laughs> film. Oh my oh, lord! No. You watch this thing, and you can't imagine why somebody thought it was a good idea to make. Uh, it's such a mess. It's incoherent. It's you know the acting is terrible. There's some very bad dubbing in it. I mean, really, you know, the sort of dubbing that we might have seen sort of forty or fifty years ago. It's awful, and it tries to be a comedy. It's like a comedy fantasy. So we have Jason Fleming plays a cartographer who's travelling around Europe in the 18th century, trying to map out the world. And he goes first of all to Russia and then to China because, surprise, surprise, it's a Russian-Chinese co-production. They're 
they're, they're the people who put the money in. Um, meanwhile, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger is the he's sort of the governor or the jailer at the Tower of London, which is ridiculous. So you see Arnie in a, a tricorn <laughs> hat. You've never seen anything so ridiculous in your life. Uh, Jackie Chan is a prisoner, um, and there's another prisoner who's in an iron mask, hence the title of the film, who um, we think might be Peter the Great. So you, you, you can't imagine how, um, how or what a mishmash all this is. But let's, first of all, let's listen to a clip. What's your name? Chen Lan. I owe you my life. I'm going east. My way is filled with dangers. Come with me. My journey follows the Silk Road. The Great Wall of China. Something is very wrong. Gather the people immediately. Make everyone see that the dragon obeys me. I must help save them. I was already confused by your synopsis there, Brian. Does it yeah. does it get any clearer when you're watching? It doesn't really. You've got. I mean, it tries to. It's like a. It's like a. It's like the worst ever Carry On film. You know, it's like a Carry On film without any comedy in it, crossed with a sort of remake of Clash of the Titans or something like that. So there are dra- the dragons in it and wizards in it. I mean, ridiculously, there's a dragon. This may be an old Chinese legend or something, but there's a dragon in it whose whose eyelashes are said to have. To, to fall off and then um, grow as tea plants. So there's a sort of tea, the legend of how tea started uh, at the kind of the root of all this. I, if this sounds confused, Jim, it's because, you know, frankly, I am confused and I think viewers you're, will be too. You're, you're selling this, Brian. You're really selling yeah. this. Um, uh, go on then. Put it out of its misery. Hit or miss. Well, it's, uh, well I, I, I wish I could use a ruder word than miss, but it is most definitely a miss. Now I'm joined by the male's music critic, Adrian Thrills, who I'm hoping has some new gems that might get us dancing around the kitchen this week. Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of uh, a couple of really interesting new albums. The new releases they're still they're still coming thick and fast. In, in what was actually quite a sad week for music, because obviously last weekend we lost the great Bill Withers, who you know one of the, the great singer-songwriters of the of the 70s. You know his song you know, "Ain't No Sunshine," "Lean On Me," "Lovely Day." You know, songs that became modern standards really quickly. Just one look at you And I know it's gonna be A lovely day amongst modern musicians he uh, he walked away from it all in the mid 80s and uh, and always resisted the temptation to return he, he his last album came out 35 years ago and it just shows the way that uh, you know his his talent his genius in that having not made a record for 35 years his songs are still sung so it's a sad loss Yes, indeed, and and John Prine as well. And that sadly, uh, that was a coronavirus link com- complications from coronavirus. Uh, John Prine, more more of a cult figure, but hugely revered by the likes of Dylan, Johnny Cash, uh, Bruce Springsteen, who who posted a really touching tribute this week, saying he was a national treasure, a songwriter for the ages, and wrote some great songs. Sam Stone, the classic bittersweet anti-war song. Sam Stone came home to his wife and family 
After serving in the conflict overseas And the time that he served Had shattered all his nerves And left a little shrapnel in his name You know, an another sad loss. And you said you there was a new album coming out by The Strokes, uh, yeah, which so is good to hear. Yeah, The Strokes, they're back. One of the a band who were hugely influential when they emerged um, in 2001 with their, uh, in, in looking you know, impossibly cool with their just-so haircuts and tight jeans and really exciting rock and roll. They, they, their first album is this it um i mean it seems to come from a different era you know when when people went out to kind of small sweaty clubs and jumped around and uh, you know blew away their cares well, of course it's now coming out in a very different climate um the, the new album first in seven years rather prescient presciently titled the new abnormal it, it's classic strokes really it's i mean they were a band they were hugely influential on you know, the likes of the Killers, Franz Ferdinand, Kings of Leon, they kind of spawned the whole wave of exciting guitar bands in the early noughties. Um, and it never quite worked out for them. They had a lot of internal disputes, and there was rows, there was solo albums, there was a, I think there was some kind of drug and alcohol issues. And, and they never really kind of followed up that debut with anything um, more substantial. But um, they're now back with this new album, which, interestingly enough, is produced by Rick Rubin, the, the kind of who's worked with Run DMC, the Beastie Boys, more associated with, with kind of hard rock and hip hop. And he seems to have reminded them what was actually quite good about them in the first place. And uh, I think we're going to hear a song called Bad Decisions. sound that uh, uh and you you reckon they've gone back to where, where they started yeah i think so i mean they don't feel quite as essential 20 years on as they did back in 2001 but i think it's it's slightly patchy the album but generally the, the better tracks signal a real return to form um and you know bad decisions they've actually they've used the riff on that song is actually lifted from from the generation x classic dancing with myself and they they credit billy idol and tony james in the in the songwriting credits and uh, it's it's a good sort of bracing guitar riff i, I think it's you know it's it's the strokes at their best so hit or miss then uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a hit the other album you've got for us, the, 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 another familiar name. Yeah, Laura Marlin. So Laura, she's the she's the Berkshire folk singer-songwriter who emerged as part... There was like a West London new folk scene um, in the, I guess, probably the late noughties. And there was, there was likes of um, Laura and Noah and the Whale and Mumford and Sons. They all kind of... They, they played in each other's bands. Obviously, yeah, Mumford and Sons went on to become the uh, the international success story but laura she um i mean she was so young when she started i think she made her debut album at 18 she started playing her first gigs when she was about 16 i think she was once famously ejected from one of her own one of her own concerts for being underage and had to play <laughs> on the pay had to play on the pavement outside um 
but she's she's put together a really solid body of work she's now on her seventh solo album she uh, she relocated to la I'm not sure if that was a good sign or not, but uh, and she kind of embraced herself, uh, embraced kind of Americana, jazz, country rock, and um, and it seems sometimes to sing with a kind of slightly disconcerting accent that swings one way and the other uh, across the Atlantic. So, uh, so Laura's she's back now with her her seventh album, which is uh, it's called Song for Song for Our Daughter. Uh, the the daughter in question is fictional she's not actually a mum but it's uh, and she says it's a less personal record but she seems to she can't really help herself from writing these these kind of personal quite reflective introspective songs i think what she's added very strongly this time is a really cool melodic pop sensibility she said she'd um, in preparation for this album she went through the whole the full solo catalog of paul mccartney and uh, used that almost as a, as a touchstone and a template and uh, i think we're going to hear a song called held down which um, illustrates that quite well think about now with my legs wrapped around you how many times before have you seen me run Twist that you'd leave like this Just drop my wrist and say But that's us done Adrian, which way are you going? A hit or a miss for Laura Marling? Um, yeah, I really like it. It's a nice, a nice, cool, reflective album. There's the kind of shades of Joni Mitchell, as always, in her stuff, and um, a nice conversational ease to her songwriting. And you know, she has an extraordinary voice. And um, I'm going for another hit on this one. Thanks, Adrian. Uh, just remind us, how do you get these uh, new albums? What's the best way? Spotify, is it? Well, I would guess, I mean, at these days, it's um, it's all, it's streaming and downloads, really. Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple, um, Apple Music. Um, the Strokes album is actually, it will be coming out on vinyl, but due to the production difficulties, the vinyl edition won't be out for a couple of weeks. And I'd imagine Laura's album as well will be, it will come out on physical formats. Uh, but, but streaming... Um, you know, streaming is king these days, and uh, they're both available this week in full. And finally, Claudia Connell, the Daily Mail's television writer. Claudia, I've seen enough of the news at the moment. Uh, what have you got to take our mind off the relentless, grim headlines? Well, actually, I'm, I think this might be relentlessly grim as well, but entertainingly grim. Killing Eve. It, it's back on the B It's coming back. The BBC felt sorry for us, I think, in isolation, so they brought it forward. You can watch the first episode of the new series on iPlayer this coming Monday uh, from 6am, but if you want to wait until it's on mainstream TV, then you've got to wait until the following Sunday. It's a year since we've seen Villanelle and, and people may remember that it ended with her shooting Eve in Rome and leaving her for dead. Now, I, I don't like to do spoilers, but as Eve features in the trailer and the publicity shots, <laughs> she may have I, don't, survived. I don't think it's a big spoiler to say that she did survive, yes. Although Villanelle doesn't know she survived. Um, and when we meet her in episode one, Eve is working in a Chinese restaurant, she's living in a bedsit and she's out of the game. And that's the main theme of the first episode. It's it's all the players trying to lead a normal life at Constantine and Villanelle. But, you know, they're bored because they crave risk and they crave adventure. The first episode is called Slowly, Slowly Catching Monkey. And that's what's happening. It's the whole ensemble gradually getting back to work. Um, I think we've got a little clip here. 
You know, you really shouldn't leave your front door open considering the amount of people that have tried to kill you. You wish I was here. My feelings of the last series of, of Killing Eve was maybe they should have ended it after the first series. Does it have they managed to come up with something fresh and different this time around? The opening shot is, is a wedding. I won't say whose wedding it is, and that that is terrific. It's so it's such an incredibly well shot, stylish scene. But I, I agree with you about the the second series was it was okay. But the the problem is the first series was so brilliant and so amazing it blew everyone away and and now of course you're going to compare anything that comes afterwards to that and no i've got to say it's just it's it's not as good it's not awful but it's not as good you've got um harriet water actually dame harriet water um is introduced this series as one of the new handlers her character is a former russian gymnast and she's really good she's very dark and she gets gets some of the best comedy lines in it and she's she's um in charge of trying to lure villanelle back into the game but it's it's slick it's fudge it's very very violent there are three quite horrible deaths in the first episode including a major character actually which is a bit of a shock um it's I, it's hard to say because I, I love the program and if i had just seen this series i think oh right, it, it's perfectly good it's perfectly entertaining but it's 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 no it's nowhere near the original so which way are you going then uh, claudia oh, hit or miss? you know what i'm on the I, i'm on the fence I'm, I'm gonna because it will be i'm going to say hit and uh, what else is, is around in the next week? Well, I don't know if you remember, Jim, that um, back at the uh, the beginning of the year, we had to single out the things we were most looking forward to. And I said I was most looking forward to quiz on ITV. Oh, yes, you did. Yeah. You did. Um, well, it starts Easter Monday and it, it plays on ITV and it plays out over three consecutive nights. So this is the story of Charles Ingram, the infamous coughing major who won the jackpot on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And he was accused of cheating. Well, he was found guilty of cheating. Um, so this is a TV drama about the whole story. And it's, it, it's yeah, I, I absolutely loved it. The thing is, it's very challenging to make a drama about a story that everybody knows and everybody knows the ending. So what they've done is they've dug much more into the relationship of Charles and Diana Ingram um, and a little bit about the making of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire and how it came to be and the story behind the quiz and everything. Do you know what? I think I'm going to go for it. I think I'll go for A or 1. Final answer? No. (laughs) (laughs) No. Um... You know, when when I'm at home um, and I'm practicing, you know, I guess I guess when I guess wrong, eighty percent of the time. <laughs> so I think I'm going to go with Craig David. <laughs> Charles, uh, you'd never heard of him a moment ago. No, Craig David. We're going to final answer. Yeah, final answer. Well, uh, what a show this is turning into. Major Charles Ingram uh, was on £16,000. He didn't have to play this question. He said in his own words that he'd never heard of Craig David. He went with a one. Uh, And then, because... Well, I rather lost the plot with his thinking then. Uh, But he changed his mind, knowing that he would lose £15,000 
If he gave the wrong answer, he went with Craig David, who he'd never heard of. <laughs> and that's the right answer! So Matthew McFadden as Charles Ingram. Um, if you if you you compare if you go and watch um, Charles Ingram on YouTube, the the episode the the episode where he cheated never aired, but you can see it on YouTube, and he's got him down to a T. The mannerisms, the body language, it's brilliant. And, uh, and Michael Sheen as Tarrant, and also um, Sean Clifford as Diana Ingram. You, people remember her from Fleabag. Uh, th- this was the days, uh, Claudia, when um, having a, a persistent cough was a sign of cheating in a quiz, rather than that you've got a coronavirus. <laughs> That's true. Um, Yes. So, so it's good to get back to those days. Um, what would you say, a hit or a miss? Uh, this is a hit. Uh, and Claudia, um, this week we lost um, Honor Blackman, um, renowned as uh, Pussy Galore in the James Bond movies, but also a frequent face on television, wasn't she? Yes, she was. She was one of those that would pop up every now and then in, in something unexpected like Doctor Who or, or Casualty. And yeah, it's very sad. She actually lived in Lewis, which is not that far from where I live. Um, she, yeah, she was a, a fantastic actress and uh, quite a few journalists. I'm in some journalist groups on social media and so many people have said, oh, she was one of my favourite ever interviews. She was so amazing, so lovely, a, a dream, so many stories. And yeah, really talented actress and fabulously sexy. Just that, that voice. She had this voice like velvet, didn't a beautiful beautiful woman even in old age she was she was startlingly uh, a, a startling kind of screen presence wasn't yes, she yes yeah really stunning well now you know what's worth a couple of strokes of your keyboard and frankly what should be banished to the junk mail folder immediately my thanks to brian claudia and adrian It's a marker of this pandemic's reach that even New York, the city that never sleeps, has been placed into a lengthy enforced slumber. And in the middle of downtown, in her flat overlooking the Hudson River, is the Daily Mail's very own 24-hour party person, Jackie Stephen. Jackie, it's been more than a month of lockdown for you now. Uh, has the novelty worn off yet? You know, I'm still not too bad with it. Like I said before, because I'm a writer and I live at home anyway and work from home, it does, hasn't made a huge difference. The thing that I do find difficult is not being able to go to the gym and go swimming, which I had a routine doing that. So at the moment, I go out for a walk when there's not too many people around and I run up and down the stairwell in my apartment block, which is 37... No, no how many floors is it? 31 floors. No, 30 floors, because there are no number 13s uh, in the States. I don't know if it's the oh, same there? I didn't know no. that. I didn't know yeah. that. So there's no floor 13. No. Let me rewind there. You run up and down 30 flights of stairs. No, let's just say I run down 30 and then I come up five and then I get the <laughs> elevator. <laughs> so uh, how are you keeping yourself entertained? What are you What are you watching on TV and so on? Uh, well, I'm still doing my YouTube channel. I've, I've taken to doing cooking on it now. I did fish in parsley sauce on Sunday. And then two days ago, I did corn bolognese. I'm still reading quite a lot and watching so much television. And, you know, just being online a lot. I've been, I do a quiz on Saturday with friends. Um, it's to be honest, I'm, I'm rather busy. There are people trying to get hold of me, and I say, Sorry, you'll have to call back tomorrow. I've got too much going on. I'm more <laughs> occupied than when before the lockdown. 
What's everyone watching in the States? I know that uh, President Trump has been um, boasting about the, the big viewing figures he's been getting for his um, coronavirus uh, uh, press conferences. But what else are people uh, gathering around the TV to watch? To be honest, what people are watching most is the news. People are obsessed with it. And because the new, there aren't many new shows at the moment, Modern Family finished uh, this week, and there are no new dramas. A lot of the dramas are on hold at the moment. Uh, they, they seem to have these strange hiatus or hiatuses, I don't know what the plural is, uh, where they show them for about eight episodes and then they all stop. Uh, we've still got uh, Bull... Um, Oh, I think that was the only one this week that came back. Uh, it's very, very difficult, I think, to watch anything at the moment. Because one of the things that you find when you're watching stuff is that people are in crowds and groups. And you think, well, how come they're in crowds and groups? It just seems very alien to our life. And people sitting around in bars. And you go, oh, get away from each other. You're not six feet <laughs> away. Yeah, that's true. That's, that's true. It's almost like when you watch an old movie and people are smoking in bars. You know, it looks yeah. odd. It, it really is strange. The thing that we are looking forward to, though, uh, is Ricky Gervais coming up on Netflix. Uh, it's the second series of Afterlife. It was hugely successful the first time round, an award-winning series. It's about a man who's lost his wife. Very poignant, very funny, typical Ricky, really. And he's fantastic uh, in the first series, and we're all looking forward to the second one. The ads for that start dropping next week. And also, if, you, if you've not gotten enough, Ricky, he does a podcast every day at 6 p.m. And it gets about 120,000 viewers. It's very, very popular. So you're, you're tuning in to Ricky Gervais every day at uh, 6 o'clock. Yeah, um, right. and 6 o'clock you, British time. You're running up and down your stairs. Running up and down uh, the you, stairs. Reading up on the usual stuff about Harry and Meghan, which everyone is still obsessed with over here, now that they've moved to California and they're officially off their royal duties. Yeah, that's interesting, because Harry and Meghan's timing seems to be all awry at the moment. They they, they seem to be launching their their charitable uh, foundation at the moment when uh, the, the death figures are going through the roof and so on. But they're still popular in the States, are they? I don't think they are at the moment because what's happening now is that it, the novelty is wearing off. Hollywood is a very, very fickle place and they don't suffer fools gladly there because they're all fools. So an extra couple of fools they absolutely don't want. And what's happening now is Meghan and Harry are looking at property in uh, Malibu. They launched their foundation this week and it's had practically no attention over here whatsoever uh, because people have got bigger things on their mind and suddenly two privileged people living in a mansion uh, isn't what people want to be hearing about there's a kind of celebrity backlash going on over here because there are a lot of celebrities doing their shows from home and people are saying you know it's all right for you you've got a swimming pool you've got a huge garden so the, the big backlash is happening at the moment but also in regard to harry and meg there was something amusing that happened uh when you buy any kind of domain uh, for a charity you normally do dot org but whenever you're launching anything you buy up every possibility to stop any untoward things happening well they didn't buy up dot com which is the first thing that you should look at so somebody bought archwellfoundation.com and set it up so it automatically goes to Kanye West's song Gold Digger on YouTube, which <laughs> is another disaster for them. It's like Jackie, every, only only you would know that. That is magnificent. Everything they do turns to dust, even gold. <laughs>
<laughs> Thanks so much, Jackie. That's okay, fantastic. Good to talk Lovely to, you. to speak to you and good keep too. well. Keep safe. Bye. And that's it from It's Friday. We'll be back next week and every week via Spotify, Apple and Google. And don't forget to sign up for your daily briefing from mailplus.co.uk. And if you'd like to drop us a line, we're on It's Friday at mailplus.co.uk. Until next week, I'm Jim White. Stay safe. <laughs>